you know, I love that last song, but when you think about singing, I'm no longer a slave, I'm a child of God, it may not feel particularly Christmassy. But let me assure you, it is. In fact, Paul in Galatians talks about the idea, the idea of the fullness of time. And he says this concept of being a child of God and not being a slave is at the heart of Christmas. What do I mean? Well, here's what he says in Galatians 4 verses 1 to 3. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians or stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Hmm. Even so we, now he relates this, the same idea applies to us. Even so we, as children, we were under bondage to what he calls the elements of the world until God did something. All right, what, what's he saying here? What's his main idea here he's trying to get at? Well, there's a couple things. One, he mentions this idea that an heir, let's say the firstborn, until he becomes the, the firstborn, uh, fully taking in the idea of the reading of the will, or in the Roman days, a moment when he becomes the person in charge of the household, he operates pretty much like everybody else. But in the Roman culture, there was a time. There was a time when dad would come to you and say, hey, you're 16, you're 18. It's March 17th. That's the day they would do it. They had a ceremony called the, the Liberalia. And the Liberalia a father would turn to the son and say, the time has come and the time is now. You're not just a child, but I, your dad, am officially adopting you. It's kind of weird to adopt your own natural born children. And that was their way of saying, you are now no longer a child, but you are master of the house. Up until this point, you've operated as a child, but now you're the head of the household because of liberalia. All right. Now that's a strange custom for us, but Paul's alluding to this idea that you and I were under some type of what he calls elements of the world until the father said to us, I adopt you and I declare to you that you are master of all, you are the heir. Now the elements of the world is a way of saying uh, karma or we are operating in the you always get what you deserve mode. But grace had to come in, adopt us out of the you always get what you deserve mode and God adopted us and gave us more than we deserved. We became heirs to everything God has. Now in the Roman culture, at that moment, a child, son or daughter would take their childish things, their toys and present them before the God Apollo. So imagine big statue of Apollo, a young child who's been a member of the household declaring, I'm giving up my childish things. Here, Apollo, I'm now becoming an heir, fully possessing everything you have for me. Now there's a big difference, right? There's a big difference between saying, hey, your time's gonna come. You're gonna one day be heir. You're gonna one day be in charge. You'll one day have access to all the father has, right? It's a big difference between your time will come and that moment when dad says, it's March 17th, come here. And he looks you in the eye. He says, son, daughter, 
Your time has come, and your time is now. You know, at this moment, I have become an heir. At this moment, I get the full benefits and privileges of being the adopted master of the household. And right out of this verse, Paul's going to apply all of that to Christmas and what God did at a specific point in time. And we're going to learn today what it means to be an heir because of what Jesus did at Christmas. We're going to learn how to trust God and how to cry out to him when we need it most. I'll start with the first one. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is how to trust God. How do you trust his timing? And Paul applies this specifically to the idea of Christmas. Uh, Watch. He says, trust that God is fulfilling his, his plan and his purpose. God fills time with purpose. When things feel chaotic and out of control, when you feel like you're in slavery to the Egyptians or in slavery to the Romans or in slavery to a world with no grace, just that karma, cause and effect relationship of always getting what you deserve. God brings his purpose to bear at just the right time. When the fullness of time, remember he's just using a time metaphor to describe that father-son relationship. When the fullness of the time had come, at just the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, under the elements of that cause-effect karma relationship, to redeem, to buy back those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see what he's doing? He's applying this idea from the Greek Romans that you were bought out or brought out of just being a child in the household to being an heir and master. He's saying that's exactly what God did for us. At just the right time in history, God looked in and he said to you and I, Your time has come and your time is now. You can trust me that I have worked through history in such a way to bring forth a child born into your world to bring you out of the world to make you heir to all of the kingdom. Now this idea is so critical to understand because the Bible teaches that time is going someplace. It's not circular. It's not random. It's got a plot Philosophically, we call this a meta-narrative. The idea that there is a, a bigger story, a way in which God is working through all the seemingly disconnected, chaotic things in life to bring about his purpose. And this is so important, not just philosophically, but even psychologically. Isn't there something about meaningless suffering that wears us down, that gets us depressed, that makes us feel like, I don't know if this has any meaning or purpose. I don't know if I can keep on keeping on. You see, when you realize that God has a purpose to time, that whatever suffering you go through, whatever difficulty you go through, God will use it for your good. He will reward you for good. He will punish evildoers eventually. That's psychologically. Knowing there's a purpose to time actually fills us up with hope and joy and courage. And that's the idea he's getting at here. At the fullness of time, all these crazy things happening in the past, God was working about his purpose. Think of it like a good movie, like a piece of literature, right? Do you remember from literature class? 
the idea that a good story, a good movie has an exposition. There once was a world that was good. And then there's this rising action, but things, something happened in the past and things have gotten bad and things have gotten out of whack. But the movie builds to a climax. And in that climax, there's a plot, something's going on, and there's a crescendo where good it over, uh, overcomes evil and evil is finally conquered. And then there's falling action and resolution where things are put back together again. The world is right again. This piece of literature, this plot line that is true of every good movie and every good story was written into the creation of the world. God said there once was a world that was good and we're in the middle of this rising action and God at just the right climax sent himself to deal with the problems of the world and now you and I are living in the falling action of living out the ramifications of what he did at Christmas that he will eventually bring about resolution, a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Let me go back to that phrase, the fullness of time, and show you how God did it in history. What does he mean that this time where the Romans are in charge of the fullness of time? Well, let me jump back to the Babylonian Empire. We're back to Ezekiel and Daniel's time. When the Babylonian Empire, who conquered all of this region, conquered the area of Israel, they deported the people. And when they did that, there was no more land, no more temple, no more synagogue. So you know what the people did? Because there's no more temple, they set up synagogues all over the world to teach their people, the Jewish people, think of it like little Sunday schools. This is where synagogues came from. To begin to teach people uh, the scroll, teach people worship. So God used the Babylonian Empire times to begin this kind of spiritual education. Then the Babylonians got conquered. And they eventually got conquered by the Medes and Persians, but then the Greeks. And God used these, these years of Alexander the Great who conquered so much more of the known world to bring about a common language. This common language, Koine Greek, would infiltrate the whole known world at that time, so much so that it would be very, very easy when Jesus came for the message of the gospel to spread. Then, God allowed the Greeks to be conquered by the Romans. Oh, now you get this gigantic section of the world conquered. And what does Rome do? They put in the Roma Paxa, the Roman peace. They put in roads all through the world. And God used all of these things to set up his message of the gospel. What do I mean? Well, the Babylonians allowed a spiritual education program to begin. The Greeks created a communication program with a common language in the world. And the Romans created a, a, a roadway that went all across the world so it would be easy to move from place to place to place to tell people about the message of Jesus. So God says, in the fullness of time, he used all these different kingdoms in the past to set up the perfect moment for him to send his son to you and I, that the world could know and know quickly as it spread because of the language and because of the the road system, what God had done in history in Jerusalem. So how about for you and I? What does it look like for you and I to trust God's timing? Well, If God could work through hundreds of years of gigantic empires and kingdoms to accomplish the perfect time to send forth his son, then probably he can handle whatever problems, whatever challenges you and I are facing as well, right? See, that's how God works. You see, you can trust someone when you know that they're trustworthy, when you know they would sacrifice for you, if they've handled a giant project like managing the fullness of uh, world history, 
then I can trust them with the seemingly small things that feel big to me that are my life. I can trust God's timing because he came into time at the perfect moment and revealed who he was. I have a good friend of mine who works with the Denver Broncos. He told me a story that was fascinating. He said that uh, John Elway, often when he goes out in public, gets bombarded. People know he's a celebrity, that this is the famous John Elway. So he's got this little secret he does to keep people from recognizing him. And what does he do? Does he wear a mask? Does he disguise himself? Well, kind of. The way he disguises himself is that when he's walking through the mall, he puts on his own jersey with his own name on the back. What? How would John Elway, wearing his own jersey with Elway on the back, disguise himself? Well, here's how he says it. He says, people will see me walking through the mall with a John Elway jersey on and they'll say, well, there's no way John Elway is gonna wear John Elway's jersey. And so they don't think it's him because he's making it clear that it is him. In one sense, that's what God did for us. God said, I wanna make it obvious that I've come into history for you. So my name is Yeshua, Joshua, which literally means God saves. God plastered his own name on his own back. And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It got transliterated into Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus in Greek. But God literally is walking around saying, I have worked through history to save my people and I'm here to save you. You see, when you know God's character, when you know his intent, when you recognize God who was way up there came way down here for you and I, you trust him. You trust that his motivation, you trust that his plan and purpose, he not only can control history, but he's available to you and I in history in the fullness of time. I heard a story this year about Mary Daniels. Mary Daniels, because of COVID, was not able to see her, her husband. Her husband had been suffering from dementia. In fact, because of COVID, it had been over 114 days since she'd been able to see him in the nursing home. And every night she would pray with him. Every night she would talk with him and calm him. But now she didn't have access to him. And she was distraught over this. But she wanted to come near the man she loved. She knew he needed her. So suddenly a, a job came open. A job at the nursing home during COVID to be a dishwasher. So she gave up her career and she took a job as a dishwasher at the nursing home so she could have access and see her husband. In one sense, that's what God did for us. At the perfect moment in time, when we needed it the most, when we didn't even have access to our full faculties of what was wrong with us and what we needed, God gave up, emptied himself of his omnipresence, for example, and poured himself into this child to come and be a servant to all, to serve us, to be a, a dishwasher for us. If God did that for us, if God did that for you, and God did that for me, you're saying, I don't understand God's timing. I don't even like some of the chaos and difficulty and Roman moments I'm going through where the Romans are in charge. But I can trust God's timing when I get delayed I can trust God's timing when, when I go through a detour in life I didn't expect or like. 
when chaos comes its way and I'm like, God, what are you doing? I can say, you know what? I may not understand his plan, but I can trust his heart. This is the God who became a dishwasher for me. This is the God who came and put on the jersey of, of humanity and he came to save me, to be near me, to be my Emmanuel. You know what God wants you to do this Christmas? To realize he's saying to you, your time has come, your time is now. And these are all the things I went through so you could know you're gonna be an heir to my kingdom. And until that moment, when the kingdom comes fully, I want you to trust that your dad's in charge and I'm gonna work through history with a meta-narrative of purpose and a plan for your life. So first, we trust the Father to fill time with a purpose and plan. Secondly, we learn how to cry out to God when things are tough. Well, that's our second aspect that Paul develops here in this text. He says, after you trust the Father to control timing, you realize he gave you something. He gave me something that allows us to, to cry out to a Father who sent forth a Son, and then he didn't just give us a Son. He sent forth a Spirit to live in us, a Spirit to cry out within us that we are heirs, that we are adopted by the King. Here's how he says it. After talking about the fullness of time, he says, and because you are sons, because you've been adopted as an heir, God has sent forth not just a child, but a spirit of his son to live in your hearts. And that spirit that lives in your hearts and mine cries out, Abba, Father. This is why you can know, Emmanuel, that you're not alone. It's not just, hey, I know a story and I know the archaeological evidence that God came to earth through Jesus. True. But there's an experiential reality too. When you invite God to adopt you into his family, God says his spirit gets put in you as a deposit of heaven. And that spirit in you cries out, I'm here. Daddy, Abba Father, help me. Abba Father, help me trust you. Abba, Father, I feel so alone. And the Spirit says, you're not alone. I'm here. Emmanuel, God is with you. I, I'm feeling so much guilt and shame. No, 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 no. I know you're feeling that way, but remember, Yeshua, Jesus saves. He forgave. He separated your sins from the east, is from the west. You've been cleansed as white as snow. These are the things the Spirit does in us that we're able to cry out, Dad, when we're in trouble because that spirit is in us. How about you this Christmas? Are you not only knowing he came to earth, but have you received not only his son, but do you recognize his spirit is in you? That you can see God not as some cosmic equation, but as dad? Abba means daddy. I need you just to wrap your arms around me right now. This is a tough time. Daddy. I need you to walk with me through this valley. Daddy, cry out to God. In fact, let me show you the Greek words he uses here. They're very fascinating. Because you're a son, you can know if you're a follower of Jesus that you're a son of God. God has sent forth the spirit of the son into our hearts and the word crying is the Greek word akrazo which means to croak or to caw. Boy, if anything 2020 has caused a lot of us to do is to, to cry out to God, oh, is this ever gonna be over? Think of that word crazo, like a frog croaking, you know. 
crying out across the lake. Or the word caw is like a, a, a baby bird in a nest. Caw, caw, caw. Mom, dad, I have needs. God says the Holy Spirit in you lets you cry out like a child. Cry, croak you, a Christmas croak. croak. I'm croaking here, God. This is so bad. I'm calling to you, God. Oh, things are so difficult. I'm going through grief. I'm going through challenge. The Holy Spirit helps you caw or croak or cry or crazo to God. And when you Christmas croak your way to God, your dad, look how he responds. He allows you to call out dad. But the word he uses for hearts is cardia. You might be like cardiology. The word for heart is cardia. It's the center of all. That at the center of everything we have, the center of everything we are, is God's spirit saying, you are not alone. I am with you. I have not abandoned you in your time of need. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to have full access to that? And that's what Christmas gives us. Not just a son, but a spirit in us where God responds to the Christmas cries and Christmas croaks that come from the deepest center part of our gut and our hearts, our cardia. It's one thing to trust his timing. It's another thing to know experientially, day by day, moment by moment, how to call out or talk to our dad. You know, it's interesting how often we as a church get a chance to meet people in the midst of difficulty. This last year, I can't tell you the number of times we as a staff, volunteers, or team have just been walking with people through loneliness or depression or confusion or unbelievable business challenges and praying with people and interacting with people giving hope where people are feeling discouraged or depressed, giving advice where people just feel like, I need the wisdom of God. One of the reasons we're here is to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. And the reason we've continued to do services and make personal phone calls and, and find all kinds of innovative ways is we know what everyone needs more than anything, more than, than great circumstances. We need to know the spirit of our Father is in us saying, Emmanuel, I am with you. In fact, I got a call from a friend of mine who's been exploring his faith here at Horizon. As he's been exploring his faith, one of the interesting things is how he originally came to know uh, or become interested in God. I'd gotten a phone call from a lady who attends our church and she said, hey, could I ask your advice? She was in her 20s. She said, my parents are going through a divorce and I'm trying to decide whose side I should be on. One of my parents is more spiritual than the other. The other one's less spiritual. And I gave her advice not to break off contact with her dad or her mom, regardless of where they were spiritually. Well, fast forward three or four months and this person starts showing up at our services. He becomes a good friend of mine. I said, well, where are you at in your spiritual journey? He said, well, I'm... I'm agnostic, a deist maybe, but I certainly don't believe in Jesus, God, or the Bible. I certainly don't think it's God's word. I said, what keeps you coming every week? He said, do you remember a phone call you got six months ago? And honestly, I didn't until he told me the story. He said, I so respected that you 
told my daughter to keep a relationship with me despite our religious differences, I said, I want to check that place out. And as our friendship has grown over the years, he's continued to come to a place here at Horizon where he can explore his own spiritual journey, find God, and to find the environment where he can ask those kind of questions. And we've had lots of conversations during this last year with all the challenges it's brought to him and his friends about who you reach out to and what do you do when when all the things you thought were, were solid and certain are no longer there. It's actually been a privilege to walk with people through valleys, stand with them on mountaintops as they're trying to cry out to God even if they're not sure exactly who he is. So we trust God the Father and we cry out to God our Father and we recognize he's in us crying out to find him if we haven't found him yet and to let us know we have found him if we're feeling alone. In fact, recently I had the opportunity to interview some friends of mine who've been through a very difficult time this year. And it's in the midst of really bad timing, a really bad year that already had enough bad chaos going on, that my friends Art and Kathy have been able to feel God's presence speaking to them in the midst of the most unbelievable and challenging circumstances. I'd love for you to hear their story now. God's timing is a strange thing, and it's hard to act like an heir, like that God is with us, that he's my dad, when he gives us circumstances that don't feel like things a good father would give us. But God can be with us in the midst of it, and his timing can be perfect, even if we don't understand the time. In fact, this is my friend uh, Kathy and Art. Thanks for being with us today and sharing your story. How has the timing of, of, of 2020 and the diagnosis and the circumstance you've been under, uh, Art, allowed you to sense that God is trying to teach you some things in the midst of some incredible challenges? Well, Chad, I don't know uh, if you know this, but I've been surfing for nearly 60 years, uh, biking for probably 70, snowboarding for 30, stand-up paddleboarding for 15. So a lot of things I do involve my legs and my feet. Well, last about a year ago, I, my foot started freezing And when we went to the doctor, they rushed me to the hospital because they found out that I had uh, blood clots in my arteries to my left foot. And the only hope for me to have my feet and legs again was for them to do an angiogram. Well, the day they laid me up on that table in the hospital, on that angiogram table, I was terrified. I bet. I knew that if this didn't work, I could lose my feet, my legs, both of them, and everything that meant something in my personality was going to go out the window. And so I just prayed to God that he would give me another chance and use my legs more for him and less for me because I had a lot of pride and not very much humility about that. And so right after that, uh, my legs started feeling better, but then they did testing and found out I had prostate cancer. Wow. It came to me that the Lord was saying, not only have you got a problem with your humility, but you have a problem with lust for things because if you go to my garage, you would see bicycles and snowboards and surfboards and just all kinds of things that I took pride in and had lust for, and I recognized and asked God if he would get me through 
the prostate cancer that I would uh, deal with that. And that morning of my angiogram, go back to that, of, of my uh, blood clots, I started prayer every morning myself on my knees or prostate on the floor in the bedroom. And then I committed to Kathy that we would pray and read the Bible together every night. And we have done that. And I will tell you, we are learning so much more about the Lord. Wow. And since that time, he's given me chances to help others. And right now I'm dealing with a, a young man that, well, he's younger than me, that has prostate cancer. He just had surgery two days ago. And so I've been right there with him mm. uh, and helping him to go through this uh, situation that I did. And God has helped me with my humility, with my pride, mm. and with my lust. Yeah, in one sense, you know, there is never a good time for cancer. There is never a good time to find you're going to lose your legs. But what you're saying is had God not brought these into your life, he would not have dealt with a bigger issue in your life, which is he's been maybe tapping you on the shoulder for years about humility, about, you know, lusting for things versus lusting or longing for him. And so God used the, in the same way that, you know, God says in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, Jesus. It was perfect timing, but if you were there, it's like, this isn't perfect timing. The Romans are in charge, we're, we're under oppression, but God used that to bring about the joy and the deliverance of, of what we needed for forgiveness. How about Kathy for you? Because if that wasn't enough going on the last six months, in the middle of that, you also having God bring some things that feel very ill-timed in your life. What were those? Well, last summer, I uh, went to the doctor because I've had uh, DBTs uh, for the last year. So I was seeing a doctor for blood clots, but mine were uh, venous blood clots, not the arterial kind I had. And I went to the doctor and I complained that I had a cough. I've had a cough many, many years and no one seems to know the cause of the cough. So when they um, did a CAT scan, they saw that, you know, I had uh, breast cancer metastasized to my spine. And that was a total shock because I, throughout the years, been very um, careful and had control over all my mammograms. I scheduled them for the school. I had my niece that had breast cancer, my mother, my best friend, so I was acutely aware of the risk. And I was in control thinking that I was going to prevent that from happening to me. And I found out that I wasn't in control, that God was in control. Mm. And I was fortunate that it was diagnosed the way it was because then I could begin treatment. But it just, you know, I'm, I always felt as a child that, you know, I guess I learned it from my parents that, you know, you learn to take care of yourself. You don't rely on other people to take care of you. And it was very difficult for me to surrender that control to God because I realized all the things I did to prevent this kind of cancer didn't prevent it. And now I had to surrender my control to God so that I could um, enjoy my life and enjoy my family and and let God control the future for me. And yeah, that's been and, a very difficult thing, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a freeing thing also. And in the middle of that, I mean, you can't be with each other because of COVID and because you both get diagnosed with cancer, so there's this loneliness. How did God speak to you that he was there in the midst of this time, that he was crying out, that spirit of God in us crying out, you're an heir to the kingdom, uh, I am with you in the midst of this. How in the middle of loneliness and cancer did God speak to you even when you're in the doctor's office? 
Well, you know, I was waiting in the chemotherapy room one day, not for very long, five minutes, when all of a sudden my mother's favorite song in the garden was playing in the doctor's office. You know, that's not something you expect to hear. No, it's an old hymn. That's an old hymn. It's not like a top 40. I just felt God was saying to me, your mother and I are with you. You're not alone in this. Physically, you might be alone, but spiritually, we are with you. And then two days later, I heard another song that we played at my mother's funeral, which was Alan Jackson, Walk Across Heaven With You. That song played. And I just, again, was reminded, even though physically art couldn't be there, God and my mother were with me. And that just really reassured me of the presence of the Lord is in this place. Well, isn't that what Emmanuel means? I mean, Emmanuel is the idea that God is with us in any and all of our circumstances. So you guys have been such an inspiration for the way you've trusted God. I know you may don't feel like an inspiration because we all know our own weaknesses, but I've just appreciated what God's teaching you and your vulnerability in the midst of it. And let me just pray for you and, and pray for each one of us who are going through whatever circumstances and the bad news feels like horrible timing, right? Bad news always feels like horrible timing. But to trust that God might be using the fullness of time to teach us and to speak to us and to work in us in the midst of it. Let's pray together. Can I pray for you guys? Father, will you bring about supernatural healing? Will you bring about courage and strength? God, will you allow your love and your presence and your spirit to be good tidings of great joy this year, just like it was when you brought your son 2,000 years ago? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us today. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Wasn't that powerful? Man, I thought, I hope I can trust God when I'm going through circumstances like that. Yeah, this year I've shared that I lost my uncle. And I got a chance recently to interact with my cousin, his daughter. And she was actually playing, she's a musician, she was playing in the garden around the table. And I pulled out my phone last week and I started recording her playing the song in the garden. Same song that Kathy mentioned. And I emailed it to Kathy and Art and said, hey, I, I'm right now hearing that song and thinking of you. And they sent me a note. Oh, we listened to it. Thank you so much. It's amazing how God works through the little things to remind us that we are heirs, that he's still in charge, that he's still in control of our circumstances. That's why what I think the application for you and me in our circumstances is simply to live like a Christmas heir knowing that our time has come and our time is now, right? Live like a Christmas heir. What if you lived knowing that God is with you, knowing your time has come, knowing you are a son, a child of God? Isn't that what he said here in Galatians? Therefore, you are no longer a slave to your status, no longer a slave to fear, no longer a slave to to what you own or your stuff. You are a son, and if a son, then of God through Christ. So the question is, what does an heir do? How does an heir act? Paul goes on in Galatians 5 and just gives principle after principle after principle on how to live like an heir. I'll just give you two he mentions. One is that we live out our freedom without flaunting it to other people. Look how he says it. Christmas heirs stand fast in freedom. Stand fast in Galatians 5.1. Therefore, knowing you're an heir, stand fast. 
If you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked in our equipping service in Thessalonians, standing fast is a word of putting up your shield when you're under attack, when you're being bombarded, you put the shields up, you stand fast, you don't back down, you don't lose ground. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom or the liberty by which Christ has made you free. You and I are going to get tempted to get back into slavery, become enslaved to our reputation, become enslaved to what we own, our status, our appearance, our money. Good things that will enslave us into thinking, I find my identity in what I do and what's on my resume. Not the spirit in me. You know, living like an heir, saying, I'm living free because God's here, because my worth is determined by who he says I am. That's how to live as a Christmas heir. When you feel lonely, and that feels more true than the reality he's in, you say, cry out, Abba, Father, God, remind me, you are with me. When you feel like everything feels out of control, remind me that you brought, you brought about your son in the fullness of time. And you can control my circumstances too. Stay free from worry and anxiety. Knowing we have a God, a dad, who's in charge. But Galatians 5 goes on to say there's a second way we live like an heir. Is that Christmas heirs use their position to serve others. Do you think Mary had any idea that this child being born to her would live a life of such incredible service? As Jesus would say later, I came... Not to be served, but to serve. When you realize this God of the universe became a dishwasher for you and I, you want to do the same. How do I use my position, my power, my influence to serve others? You brethren, sons, co-family members of God, you have been called. You have a purpose in life. What have you been called to? Called to liberty, to freedom. What kind of freedom? Through love, you serve one another. Every day we look around at people who are anxious, people who are fearful, people who are impoverished. We say, how do I use what I have and what I've been given by God to serve others? In fact, we have an opportunity to do that as a church. See, this time of year, a lot of us are doing our giving. I would encourage you, as you're giving, I hope you're giving back to Horizon as a way of saying, God, thank you for the way you've used Horizon services, Horizon teaching, Horizon relationships to encourage me, to gird me up under these challenging times. I hope a portion of your giving will come to Horizon and what we're doing. But I also hope you're keeping your eyes open to all the different opportunities around you where you can give your time and your money to those who are in need. One of the ways we do that as a church is through our giving tree. So as you come in our front door, you will see we have a giant tree with little ornaments set up. The different needs in the community, nearby, Interparish Ministries, City Gospel, internationally, the work we do with Back to Back. You can grab one of those ornaments and find somebody in need that you can use your position as a Christmas heir to serve. Choose an ornament. Return the, uh, the designated ornament to, uh, to a child or family in need. The tree's located just as you come in the front door. And if you're not necessarily feeling safe to come into our building yet, just call the office. Say, hey, I'd like to buy something for somebody. Uh, here's a credit card number. I'll write a check. And we actually have a personal shopper who will go and get those gifts and deliver those to the people in need. Because we want to be people who are, who are known for our love, known for serving the people around us. In fact, maybe for you, you're feeling the same way. You think, I, I, I've been so maybe consumed with my own needs, my own angst. 
I need to take my eyes off myself and serve others. That's what Christmas was about. God did the same thing. He came from heaven to earth to serve you and I through death on a cross. There's an interesting passage in the Christmas account that says, Mary, watching what was going on, pondered these things in her heart. I wonder what this means when Simeon said he's destined, he's destined to pierce your soul. I wonder what it means that God came to maybe die as a Passover lamb. As you listen to this next song, where we say, Mary, did you know who Jesus was and what he would do? In the midst of her confusion and circumstances like this is how the world treats the Son of God? How was Mary able to keep trusting God, her dad, and cry out to God when she saw her own son being crucified? Let me pray for us that God would allow us to ponder the mystery of the message of Christmas while knowing the mystery that he is with us. Let's pray together. We pray with me? Maybe you want to say, Father, I receive your son and I receive your spirit into my heart right now. And Father, I ask that you would teach me how to trust you in my current circumstances and how to live like in Christmas air. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.